0: Hello and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and it's a pleasure to have you here with me today. I really appreciate both your attention and your practice. So in this podcast, I try to explore a full-spectrum spirituality that includes kind of the messy, difficult bits of our being, as well as the bright, luminous, positive elements of our being, and how we can seek to find a harmonious union between the two. And in today's episode, I kind of close out the year. This is the final episode of this year's season. Um, But I close out the year with some reflections on what I'll be calling Yang Vipassana meditation. So I call it yang vipassana meditation because it is more active, it's more dynamic, it's more volitional, you're, you're applying effort. Um, but as I'll say going forward, particularly in the new year, that ultimately I think yang vipassana needs to transition or soften into yin vipassana, which is a receptive, uh, relaxed version of the same process of That is Vipassana meditation to see things clearly. So, um, in this talk, I I really share or or, or approach how a methodology that I learned in Burma, uh, which is called the Mahasi method, I I show how this, or try to reflect on how this approach to meditation is a a very good and technique based yang form of Vipassana that uh, is good to get under your meditative belt, meaning your, your meditative toolkit belt. So this method, as I describe in the talk, can be quite active, and as a result, some people find it tiring at first, just they feel a little bit overwhelmed by it. And I certainly felt that way myself when I first started using it um, in early 2004. But what I want to suggest is that you think of it like an exercise in the gym or a specific Way of doing a movement in the gym where, you know, at first it might be tiring, it might make you sore, but it, it ultimately develops a kind of strength. And I, I really think that this applies to the Mahasi method, which I'll refer to as Yang Vipassana. It can be a little challenging, it can feel like you're pushing something uphill for a bit, but the dividends and the, the sort of the payoff of, of learning this technique well are, are pretty significant. And In the new year when terry and i uh, really shift from emphasizing the yang vipassana approach to meditation to a more yin approach uh, to make that transition the skill set of yang vipassana needs to be deeply internalized so i really recommend that you give this particular lesson or this particular talk some time try putting integrating in your practice and if you're practicing along with us either on your own or within our sangha I think you'll find that uh, this this methodology will, will stand by you um, and, and really enhance your contemplative journey. So now, as I mentioned, this is going to be the last episode of 2021. It's been a really wild year in many ways. Um, one year ago today, that would be December 20th, 2020, Uh, One year ago today, Terry and I were both up to our necks in packing boxes in our respective apartments. We had yet to purchase the house we now live in, in Maine, and there was just a lot of transition pieces that hadn't even begun. Um, Now we're one year in at our new place in Maine, we're really settled, we've got a lot of great flows in place and systems in place. There's a lovely coating of snow on the ground outside. It's a very wintry atmosphere. And we just want to extend a warm, wholehearted appreciation to you, our listeners, those that support us in the Sangha. Um, and uh, just let you know how much we value and uh, fully appreciate uh, your commitment to your practice and you're willing to share your practice with us as we uh, continue on this journey together. We're really excited about 2022. We got a great uh, lineup of workshops and day long retreats uh, planned for the year. And we're just looking forward to continuing to turn this wheel of our former practice that includes yin yoga qigong, and meditation. If you yourself would like to consider joining us and practicing along with us in the Riverbird Sangha, where you can attend our live online weekly classes over Zoom, our meditation, qigong, and yin yoga classes, please consider joining. There's a link for you in the show notes, and it's I'll give you the link here. It's joshsummers.net forward slash sangha. We offer a variety of sliding scale monthly membership uh, fees, which give you access to all those live classes, access to our recordings of workshops and classes in our library, and gives you more uh, ongoing support for your practice, you could say. So uh, before, I just want to mention that, so rather than hear me share about how wonderful the Sangha is, I thought it would be good to share what some of our members have have had to say. So here's a, a, one testimonial from someone in our, in our group. They wrote, This week I attended the Dharma talk followed by Josh's yin class. And today I finished the yin and qigong practice. Together it was like a mini retreat, and I felt so deeply touched by all three classes. Thank you so much for your work. It is so needed in these times, and I feel like a part of your sweet community, though I rarely can attend live. I cannot express the depth of my gratitude to you in words. There's just so much emotion. You've both touched my soul and continue to do so on a weekly basis with deep gratitude to you both." Well, thank you to the member who shared that. And we're both very touched by many similar uh, reflections and, and, and emails of feedback that we receive. This is a, a very gratifying experience to be hold, holding space for a community like this of shared interest in yin yoga qigong and and meditation and just to to hear uh, firsthand from people how much they are themselves taking away from the continuity that they receive or the continuity that they develop in their practice as a result of the support they receive from the sangha so if that's of interest to you if you'd like to start the new year with more support more ongoing continuity in your own practice more perspectives on practice and, and, and sort of creative ways of tying and and, and creating your own practice, please consider joining. Um, again, there's a link for you in the show notes, but it's at joshsummers.net forward slash sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. And we will be starting uh, live classes starting on January 10th. We're taking a couple of weeks off for the Yin Solstice through the holidays. We'll be rebooting our own energy, our own practice, going in for a few days of retreat. And we look forward to coming out on January 10th with live classes again and uh, connecting once once more. The podcast will pick up a week after that. So January 17th is when the next episode will drop. But until then, I want to suggest that uh, in in the downtime of the holidays, if you have time, I would recommend checking out some of our workshops, which can be purchased on our shop page or are available within your Sangha membership in the library. But there's workshops that go into the introduction of yin yoga, the introduction of harmonization of qi, the introduction of qi gong, the introduction of yin and yang meditation. All of those practices are the foundation from which we'll continue to build on in the new year. So we are encouraging all members and anyone interested in joining to really familiarize yourself and review these core foundational practices, and then we'll be able to really fly together into new depths or new heights, whichever direction you want to go. We'll be able to to work together in a a more deeper and nuanced way. The other thing I want to recommend is in the podcast itself, I closed this year with three really rich conversations with three particular guests. One was Howard Axelrod, really discussing kind of the, the importance of attention and how much attention is under threat as a result of digitization. I then had a conversation with Bernie Clark about his book on comparative mythology and how what a myth, we really look at what myths can offer us uh, in terms of a variety of different functions and how we might even consider developing a new myth, a personal myth or a new collective myth for all of us. Finally, I finished the year with a cosmic episode with my friend Bob Wright, which I call the Divine Algorithm Sutta, where in a rare two-hour sitting, Bob laid out his entire worldview from the cosmic soup to the threshold of a global community and how natural selection explains the entire development of this unfolding algorithm and, or I should say actually natural selection is part of the unfolding divine algorithm and how consciousness itself remains an utter mystery to everyone that's looked into it. Um, So it's a really rich episode that, that, I try to say, brought a lot of awe and wonder to my consciousness, and I invite you to check those three conversations out to help nourish your capacity and appreciation of the everyday sublime. So without further ado, I give you today's episode, and I and if, until I see you in the next season, take good care, stay safe, stay strong, and I look forward to seeing you in 2022. But without further ado, I now give you today's episode, Yang Vipassana Meditation. For this evening's talk, I was thinking back on some of the themes from last week. And in particular, the opening quotation that I read from last week has has really been kind of resonating in my head, which is just to review it, the quotation is from a Japanese, 15th century Japanese Zen master named Ikkyu, who said, many paths lead from the foot of the mountain, but at the peak, we all gaze at the single bright moon. And I've been really reflecting on the side idea of many paths. There's many ways of walking up the mountain and what those ways might be. And on on one level, um, if I, as I've sort of, surveyed the various forms of yoga from the Indian spiritual tradition, um, and then even considered various traditions within Buddhism, I I can sort of make out how there there might be these different specific paths. Um, So if you're at all familiar with yoga history, uh, traditionally there have been at least four or five different main branches of yoga, yoga practice. There might be um, a, a path or practice of, of devotion and love, and really you could say a divine relationship to life. And that is um, kind of codified within a, a tradition called bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is the, the yoga of devotion and love. So there's this relational loving side of, of a path or aspect to a path. Um, but within the, the yoga tradition, there's also... More contemplative and even um, knowledge-based forms of yoga, where you you study the nature of the self, or you uh, engage in what we would think of as sort of a form of meditative practice to gain to gain deep insight into the nature of things. And these um, these forms of practice tend to be geared towards more really understanding <clears throat> the mechanisms of perception, where you start to see more closely and, and train yourself and train your awareness to see more closely what's going on. So <clears throat> these, this kind of a path tends to be more perceptual in nature. Um, but of course, there's, there's, there's paths in life that, that are, that exist outside of these specific spiritual traditions. And, um, broadly speaking, I, I'd say there's probably many paths that, Focus on uh, really finding a meaning in life, finding your own meaning, finding or finding a way to make meaning of life, and then to um, to live from that. So there, there are these many ways up the mountain. There's the path of the heart, the path of perception, or, or uh, deep yoga of of meditation, um, and and then of course you know, the yoga tradition also has um, paths of, of action. Uh, karma yoga, the 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 act, the yoga of uh, engagement with the world based on certain principles of the heart, such as as Ga- as Gandhi um, personified in his own life around uh, peacefulness, nonviolence, and and renunciation. Um, <clears throat> but as I've been thinking about the different elements of what I've been exposed to in Buddhist practice, I've I've seen sort of elements of these different paths and different traditions. So the tradition that I spent a lot of time with known as the kind of the insight meditation tradition or the, the Vipassana tradition that came out of Burma. um, These, these practices are very much at the heart of them geared towards developing a certain kind of perception of experience. And it can get quite technical at times in, in the service of developing that clear perception um, but some other traditions really emphasize more qualities of the heart, uh, even though that might be found in, say, early Buddhist practice. Um, I feel like the the, the the qualities of the heart that get emphasized in the teachings really take root in in later developments in Buddhism, found in Mahayana and Vajrayana, where there's practices where you are intentionally cultivating compassion and love and and, and sending this in a very universal way towards all all beings. When I've been trying to in a sense, draw from these various traditions and these various practices, I have tried in a slightly stylized way or reformulated way, I've tried to bring elements of these various traditions, various practices into a more uh, seamless approach to practice. Meaning, um, you know, when it's time to do heart practice, usually you start repeating phrases that that, that um, align around certain intentions of the heart. You might use loving kindness phrases like, may I be peaceful, may you be peaceful, may we all be peaceful, things like that. <clears throat> um, and rather than trying to uh, give you a bunch of individual discrete practices that you might do, like you do one practice on Tuesday and a different practice on Thursday, for example, i am trying to formulate the practice in a way that all the different these different dimensions of, the, of, of practice can be woven into a kind of a unified path or an integrated path, so that the heart element and the perceptual element aren't separate but are actually brought together um, and, are at least intended to be brought together. That said, sometimes. Uh, I might emphasize one side of the practice a little bit more, and sometimes th- today I'll be emphasizing another side more. So, in yin meditation, which we've talked a lot about here, in the in the basic form of yin meditation that I share, th- that practice tries to accomplish a few things, but at the heart of it, the intention is to develop to develop uh, to help the practitioner, i.e., you, develop a a gentle friendly relationship to your experience in a way that you feel safe like those are the the main features of the practice so you're you're leading with receptivity and you're playing your edge in a way that you that you know that you can take care of yourself if you need to and you'll feel you'll be safe Um, and and together those two intentions are really intended to reduce conflict between what your what happens in your meditation and what you think might should happen in your meditation so usually there's some conflict between what the instructions say to do and what's actually happening i.e the instructions might say be here and now be present focus on your breath be aware of sensations occurring don't get lost in thought your mind gets lost in thought and then you feel like there's some tension in your experience like why is why is my mind thinking and 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 you're you're not doing the, the practice correctly or something like that so I've tried to from the beginning create a foundation whereby there's just much less conflict with with thinking primarily that you're, you know you can think, you're allowed to think. And this raises the question how do we develop insight into the nature of thinking? How do we how do we bring mindfulness? how do we bring awareness to thinking? Um, and I received a question uh, over email, this point um the 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 person that was asking the question said they heard me speak about using thoughts as um, part of the meditation but they weren't sure how to differentiate between being lost in thought and being aware of thought as an experience in meditation and this is something i want to kind of move this is a direction i want to move into sort of talking about an exploration of how do we come to understand thinking and 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 what ways can we use to understand thinking <clears throat> so there's 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 two broad sides to thought that i i, I want to be be clear about and and help you at least appreciate and and then i want to put in context, when, when we understand the two broad sides of thinking, put in context what we're doing on on one side of the meditative uh, practice. So the two, as I said in the retreat on saturday, there, the the two uh, aspects of thinking that I think we can look at are a, what do the thoughts mean? what's the what's the content of the of the thought? What is the implication of the thought? So, you know, if I were to say I had a thought about Christmas, a holiday coming up, you know, if that if I was sitting in meditation and then I had the stream of thoughts around Christmas, I could tell you I was thinking about Christmas. That's, you know, and I was thinking about who's going to come over and what we're going to eat and you know, all those things. If I'm telling you about the, the, the details or the narrative pieces or the, the meaning within the thought. But there's, from a a more meditative, and I mean here specifically Vipassana meditative lens, instead of observing the the implication or the meaning of the thought, Vipassana invites us to explore, in some ways, the, the behavior or the process of the thought like what is a what is a thought in terms of a an experience and and for that i, I i'm going to try to use this analogy of like how a director of a film may, might describe events in a scene you know character a comes in interacts with character b they read their lines to each other they put a cup one person puts a cup down and then exits the room so there's a description of the process of what's going on. And if I were to try to report my experience of that thought about Christmas, I would say something like, I was sitting here, feeling my breath, and suddenly I became aware of some thoughts around Christmas. And as I became aware of the thoughts around Christmas, they, they kind of issued a few more thoughts, Some more, a few more thoughts bubbled up. But as I watched those thoughts, the whole thing just sort of slowed down and stopped. And I've noticed something in my leg or I noticed something in my foot. So what I'm trying to describe is what is my attention seeing and how is the thing that I'm seeing behaving? And I'm, and I'm going into this, this type of practice now with you, in part, I've been trying to build towards it for a long time, for for several weeks throughout this fall. But I've been building towards the kind of practice that I did uh, when I was in Burma. And it, it just so happens that, as I mentioned on the retreat day, last week, last week I was visiting my mother's and um, I found a, a box of old journals. And I just happened to find the journals that I, the journal that I kept when I was on retreat for, for two months in Burma at the end of two thousand four. And so I was reading through these, and I was really interested in, in kind of the instructions that I was receiving, and the the kinds of uh, experiences that I was I remember being able to observe in my in my mind and body. And one of the things that I picked up on were these very simple instructions from my teacher, Saito Upandita. Essentially, as I, as, the, the, as the instructions go that we received, it, that we were told the first thing you want to be aware of is what happens. So you might be told to watch the rise and fall of your abdomen at the, at the belly. And as you're breathing, when something, when another object of experience, when, when a sound, a thought, or a sensation becomes more predominant than the thing you start watching. And when something becomes more predominant than the breath, we were instructed to give our full attention to that experience, to lightly label it, and then observe how that experience behave once we noted it. So, for example, um, <clears throat> if I would, one, I can... Imagine a practice where I'm watching the rise and fall of my abdomen. And then I feel this, this faint, at first, this very faint numbness in my left foot. But that faint numbness was stronger. It was enough to pull my attention away from my breath. So I start noticing the sensation in the foot. So that's what's happening now. That's the most obvious feature of my experience and the most predominant object. I would then label it. In this case, numbness or numb. But rather than just sort of label it and then think I'm supposed to go back to something else, the teacher told these teachers told us be observe the object that you're aware of after you've noted it. So when I tune into that 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 felt sense in my foot, what I initially labeled as numbness, I get I go directly into that, get a little closer. And I, I feel this subtle waving pattern of sensation. So now I note waving set sensation. And while I'm noticing that, I suddenly hear a bird chirp outside, and I note hearing. And then the sensation in my foot is sort of—it's not so much there anymore. The the bird chirp is gone. And then the instruction is to come back to the primary object of awareness, namely the rise and fall of the abdomen. So I might be labeling the rise and fall of the abdomen again. And then suddenly I'm thinking about lunch because breakfast wasn't enough. <laughs> we didn't get fed that much there. So I'm thinking about lunch. And then now I become aware that the thought of lunch is the new object of awareness that I'm attending, attending to. So the instruction is then to label the new object. So I noticed a thought about lunch and I enable, label thinking. But as soon as I notice that I'm thinking, the thought stream goes away, and now I feel this pang in my abdomen, a sensation of hunger. So I note hunger, and then I look at that sensation. And the closer I get to the sensation, it becomes more of a raw sensation. That that, It's even hard to describe it as hunger anymore. It's it's a pressure. It's a slight tension. It's moving a little bit. So what I'm trying to describe is what this method does is it tries to bring your knowing mind in as close a contact as possible with the unfolding events of moment to moment experience. And in doing that it this this, this particular technique will Utilize thinking to see through, or to kind of bring you to a non-conceptual perception of what's what's happening. So you use you're using the labeling of thinking, or hearing, or seeing, or sensing, or breathing. You're using a specific form of thought to see through kind of the normal layer of thought that we experience things with to a direct connection with the immediacy of the experience, which is going to be a pattern of sensation, a pattern of sound, a pattern of thought in the mind, coming and going. So to to give you maybe another sense of this, um, I remember having trouble myself with this technique at first, and I had trouble going in when I would have interviews with my teacher. You know, we were meant to start talking about what do we notice when we watch the rise and fall of the abdomen. And then we'd have to report on every other thing that we would see in a very thin slice of our meditation time. So the, the, the teachers wanted to know sort of the clearest example that we could give from our practice of what we were seeing. And you know, I remember going in and saying, I, I, I was watching the rise and fall of my abdomen and I felt that the, the rising of the belly and I felt the falling of the belly. And then while noticing the rise and fall of the abdomen, I noticed my knee was hurting and I became really concerned about my sitting posture. And I wondered if I should change posture, if I should stay where I was, if I should get another cushion and uh, t- teacher, do you have any advice for me? And every time I'd ask, I'd ask the teacher something like this: that the teacher would look at this translator and say, "Did he? Did he get the instructions properly? Why is he asking me this question?" And so, I, cite, I would say, "Did you note it? Did you note the experience?" And at first, I was like, "Well, well no," because I was concerned about taking care of my knee. And the reason I'm, I'm going through this is this particular. It's very difficult in the West where we're so in, sort of used to having a very psychologically minded approach to practice. It's hard to, to really tack into this very specific lens of Vipassana that is just trying to track the behavior a moment-to-moment experience. So, you know, Upandita would say, you know, look at the sensation, note it, and watch how it behaves when you become aware of it. So then I started doing that. I said, oh, okay, there might be this knee pain. Now I'm using this example because it was a common one for me. And I sat through a lot of bad knee pain. I don't encourage people to sit through knee pain. I'm just using this as an example. But when I would look at the knee pain, I could see that there was this hotness or it sort of had a shape to it. There was a heat. It would move. It would pulse. It would tingle. The closer I get, it would start to break up into smaller and smaller sensations. It literally became um, just a field of raw sensation by looking directly into the experience. Now, of course, I had reactivity, too. I didn't like it. I I didn't like the, the sensation. I wanted to move. And in this practice, the technique was to simply label those occurrences in the mind. So there's the sensation of aching, and I would dissect that. And then there would be the 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 the, the argument argument in my mind about it, and I would I could label that. So when every time the thought became predominant, I would know, oh, this is aversion, this is disliking, this is wanting to move. <clears throat> and in doing this, the knowing mind does not get lost in its distortions, its own distortions of thinking. So the, the, the like the tendency to, for the mind to, to really spin into a mushroom of thought cloud is dramatically reduced when we just look at the bare nature of the experience. And the, the labeling technique is just a way to um, kind of give you feedback that your awareness is knowing just what's occurring. Because if you're labeling, you literally cannot get lost in thought. So you start to see a more direct experience of what's happening. Um, <clears throat> now, when we do like, that, it's, it's easy to use this technique, say, with sensation, as I've been trying to say before in other, other classes. It's easy to label sensation when it's there, it's easy to hear sounds. These are the two perceptual doorways that are most readily understood and recognized. But thinking is really, really fast. The process of thought is incredibly quick. So I'm gonna use the mallet, if you can see my, my mallet here, um, as an example. And my, my, as, as the mallet will be objects, will be a symbol for objects. So it could be a sensation, it could be a sound, it could be a thought. This hand, the Pac-Man hand, this is the noting mind. What will happen is, at first, when you're doing this technique, the, the, the experience will arise. So the, the, the say this is a sound appearing, you hear a bird chirp, and then there's this slight lag where the noting mind comes over and goes hearing, hearing, Come, catches up to the sound and says, oh, that's hearing. The mind is hearing right now. Or there might be an itch. So the itch arises and there's a little delay before the noty mind catches up. Itching is being known. Itching, itching. With thinking, however, what usually happens is thoughts flicker by and you get lost in it for a little bit. And then suddenly you come to and you realize that you're several... And I don't know how many, but it, it could be in the met in, in the order of hundreds, if not thousands, several thought moments downstream, you realize you're thinking, and then the thoughts may subside. And then the meditating mind catches up, comes on the scenes like, there was thinking just here. There was, I know there was thinking just here. <laughs> Where's the thing? The, the thoughts are gone, but they were just, There I know thoughts were just here, right? And then you go, like, okay, the thoughts are gone. Okay. We missed it, but that's okay. I'll come back to the breath now. So we go back to the breathing. You're with the breath for a little bit, your mind wanders, you wake up again, suddenly you realize you've woken up, the thoughts disappear, then the thinking mind, the the noting mind comes in and captures it again, thinking, thinking. So what's happening is your mind um, initially will will latch on to sounds and sensations in real time more closely. It's very challenging to capture thoughts in real time. It's very challenging. It takes a good amount of practice and, 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 and work at keeping your awareness very sharp at the surface of your consciousness. But if you're able to do that, and this is what I'm, I'm like, I went abroad to Burma to, to, to go deep in this so I can really understand this, this myself. But if you're able to do that, you will see that um, there's this, uh, there is this. There is a surface of consciousness whereby some things are known on the surface above it, and then below it, you're not really sure what's there, but you can feel it. And I think I, I shared this before, where at a certain point, my mind was quiet, but I could tell there were, it was pregnant with thoughts. And i could even feel them subterraneally in my mind before they would shoot through and break through the surface of consciousness and and emerge as an image or a, as a fragment of language and they would just shoot in and then and then dis, and then disappear again because the at that point in that in that at, at that phase of the practice my mind was that was was strong enough it's not like that way now this is something that with 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 longer practice you can really get there of seeing the the radically impermanent nature of a thought, and to see it at that level, uproots what I was talking about Saturday that there's a there's often a perception that there's a separate thinker from the flow of thought. So you know what I'm trying to describe has actually been um, well documented in the, in the in the cognitive neuroscience world. Um, I'm thinking of Steven Pinker, the psychologist at Harvard, who says when you look at the brain functioning of the, um, under the MRI, there's, there's many, in a sense, many areas of the brain out trying to out-shout each other. And it's in a way the loudest thought that breaks through consciousness, that grabs your attention, that then you say you were thinking. But it's actually the other way around. The thought is having you when you think you're thinking. So... <clears throat> This is one way, this is a perceptual way of coming to understand the nature of thought. And it it really is a headbender (laughs) in a way. When you you really look at your own mind with, with intense curiosity, what is the nature of a thought? Where does a thought come from? How does it behave? And you realize that, you know, most of the time, and I put myself in this camp, we just tend to be carried away by the, sweet, by, this, by the currents of these thoughts. And again, there's nothing wrong with thoughts. As one of my teachers would say, thoughts are not the enemy. But coming back to something that I said last week around maps not being the territory. Map is helpful. But a map is can, should not be confused with the territory. Thinking is your internal map. It can it's, It can be a wonderful tool. It can help navigate things and makes it easier when we you know have to have to do things and plan and and, and all sorts of things are, are, are very much dependent on thinking. I'm not anti-thinking. But it's a a representation of reality like a map is. So Vipassana practice is really geared towards helping us see how much we tend to see the world through a certain map. And in in really becoming conscious of that fact that the map is filtering our perception, we start to see the world in a less conceptual, more direct way you don't have to stop thoughts to do that. You just have to see the nature of thoughts at play. I've used a metaphor before of a, of a movie cinema, where if you go into the cinema and say the usher turned up the lights by accident, you know, if there's enough light on in the house, it'd be very difficult to get lost in the story of the movie. You wouldn't, you wouldn't really be happy. You'd, you'd want your money back that the, the, the quality of the, the movie experience was was diminished by the fact that the, the lights were on too high. Well in meditation, it's somewhat similar <clears throat> when the light of your awareness is turned on enough through, your, through the sincerity of your practice, and you start to really become intensely curious about observing the nature of a thought or how thoughts behave. Or is there a thinker independent of the flow of thoughts? Any of these questions can, can really bring you into a, a very rich territory of inner exploration or um, inner travel of psychonaut life, <laughs> exploring your consciousness and the contents of your consciousness. And there, there really is something, there is, there is a there there to be learned. To be to be understood, to be encountered, that you are when you are just simply not defined by your thoughts when you see thoughts as thoughts. So I, I want to put this into a, a a a style of or a technique of practice to share with you as a kind of gear for you to use in your meditative toolbox or your your meditative uh, repertoire. I had a teacher once who who referred to different styles of practices, different gears on the Dharma bike. And you know, if, depending on the terrain, you're going uphill or downhill. You're going to shift gears. So the <clears throat> this particular gear uh, that we're borrowing from the Burmese tradition or one of the Burmese traditions of Vipassana is a very simple tool, and it—but its simplicity belies its, its 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 profundity. I think, where you can gently give a soft, silent label to whatever experience you you're having that's most predominant or most vivid. So normally it's suggested to start with the sensation of the breathing. so this is why I've been slowly coming to working with the breath. So for today, I'm not going to say too much about the breathing, but just um, suggest that you try to relax and feel the breath of your belly. Now as you breathe in, the belly will rise. So as a way to help support the continuity of awareness with the experience of breathing, the the labeling tool would be to label the the movement of the belly during the in-breath as rising. And as the belly falls during the out-breath to note falling. So it's very simple. And the idea is to have the, the label and the movement be concurrent, to have them occur concurrently or as close together as possible. So it's not that you're using the label as a mantra to kind of zone out with, but that the label is to bring you as close to the immediate sensations of your belly as you breathe. In a relaxed way, so we start out rising, falling, rising, falling, and that as I the, coming back to the the metaphor of the spider in its web, the center of the web is analogous to your breathing, or your breathing is the center of the web. So you're, you let your attention rest there. But when any other experience becomes obvious or take, pulls at your attention or you just wake up and notice that you're already on something else, that new occurrence, that new experience is something you will now give your full attention to. That, so that's what's happening. And just you'll lightly label that experience. So you could find your thinking about something, thinking, thinking, or remembering or Confused, confusion, confusion. Um, you might feel a sensation somewhere in the body: tingling, pressure, heat, movement, itching, and you might hear sounds, hearing, hearing. So the idea is, the the spider, your awareness, is free to move around its web in its wide open space, and you're just registering whatever experience is most obvious with a light note. Now, this is the most yang of yang meditation techniques I've ever seen. So it has a tent because it's very yang or active in nature. it, It has the potential to be overused, misused, or too particularly the way I did it too strenuously used where You know, you might try to capture every single object that you become aware of. So you're kind of tingling, itching, tingling pressure, tingling, tingling pressure, breathing, rising, falling, thinking. You can get pretty maniacal about it. So I don't recommend it at that at that speed. Um, The way I would think about using it, and and I was trying to think about this on my walk today, I remembered a. A, an American monk who was practicing at the same time at the center that when I was there, and he he moved with this grace that I found incredibly inspiring. I think he, he just had this sort of uh, 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 a way about him where he he would walk and sit and move and clean his bowl all like it was part of a beautiful ballet. He had this dignified grace about how how he moved, and I imagined. That he was doing the same technique I was doing, but I imagine that he was moving with such care that I could almost hear the soft gentleness of his noting voice. That that no matter what he was doing, it was with care and and a real sense of the sacred for what he was doing. Um, So I want to suggest that when you use this technique as a tool, to use it with a very caring, soft, um, kind of tone of voice that almost um, connects to, in a way might connect you to a sense of the sacred that you're, you're really using the tool to sharpen your own attention, which we could say might be in some ways one of the most important things we can do in our life to take care of how we pay attention. The quality of our life is often largely driven by the quality of our attention. So to not approach it so mechanically or rigidly, but just to use it lightly as a way to connect you to just the immediacy of what's occurring. So in Burma, when we use this technique, as I probably shared with you at some point, we were encouraged to make a mental note a label of each occurrence, roughly once a second, from three thirty in the morning a.m. to ten or eleven p.m. at night, every second of every hour. So it didn't matter if we were sitting, walking, getting walking to get our breakfast or our lunch, uh, cleaning up, showering, bathing, whatever it was. Every occurrence was 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 labeled. What I found in, in sharing this approach with with people back here is that, um, you know, I want to I would like encourage you to use it softly in a relaxed way and really try to honor the spirit of it. So that the spirit of it is to be present to real-time events, to just to let your mind glide, like the, the record player needle, glide with the unfolding landscape. Of your moment-to-moment experience, a sound, hearing, sensation, touching, rising, falling, thinking, hearing, thinking, hearing, rising, falling. So it's a very soft, light noticing, just checking in with you with the, sort of the landscape or the the, the holistic landscape of your experience. And I would encourage you to use the tool until you feel like you're in the groove with the experience. When you find your mind just like alert and present to the, to the immediate unfolding of what's happening, you can drop the noting and you can just silently observe what's happening. But then if you find like you're really starting to wander and drift for a long period of time, or if something is, Um, agitating you, or there's something uh, challenging coming up in your, in your practice, that's where I would shift into this gear of the noting to really take name for each of the features or facets of the experience you're having. So it's a, it's a gear you can click into uh, and you can click out of it. So if you, if you're going uphill and it starts to feel really steep and hard shift into this lower gear of just Lightly tracking moment to moment experience. Once you feel like you're in the groove and the pocket of being within present moment experience, then you can let go of the noting and just silently observe and be fully present to what is. So in this, the, the, the aim of this, if you could call it that, is to see the impermanent changing nature of everything. The changing nature of the sound, changing nature of sensation, changing nature of thought, and to, in a sense, uncouple our tendency to be lost in thought. Now, I'll be coming to the other side of this equation at another point, but there is a that just as I think there's a very valuable ability and contemplative skill to see thinking this particular way. I think there's also, and I want to just end with this. There's also value in letting your mind think about anything, getting lost in it, and then reviewing it later. And I will, I'll, I'll, I've, I've spoken that a long time ago, but I'll be coming back to that um, at some point in a Sangha session around a different way to get to know thinking. But this is the, the way I'm speaking about tonight. This is the, the yogi's way of knowing thinking. So, you know, when I, I was another example, when I went to see Upandita, you know, I, I remember one once going in and saying, it was so crazy. I was, I was there in the meditation and, and like had all this stuff from my childhood coming back. And then it was there and it was really hard. And like was a shouting in my head, of course, I didn't say what I noted or anything. So he wasn't that impressed. He's like, it seemed like you got totally lost in this yogi. But then I said, and then there's this tremendous bliss. It suddenly broke. It was like this Rain cloud that broke, and then there was this bliss experience, and my my body disappeared, and I was flying, and I was happy, and and all the time he said, "Did you note it?" And he was he was not impressed, didn't care about anything of what I was saying, whether it was the, the the memory, whether it was the bliss state, whether it was the pain in my knee, it didn't matter to him what was occurring in terms of the content. All he, I finally clued in, all he wanted to know was how could I see the process of what's occurring? And once I, that clicked in for me, the practice really kind of opened up in a way, because I could really start to see the, 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 the characteristic of the experience that, that, that this particular instruction was trying to help me see. Okay, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's talk. I hope, as always, that the talk inspires you some, offers you some reflections that you can play with in your own practice and see how these suggestions and reflections can be woven into your ongoing practice. Again, if you'd like to practice with me and Terry and really receive the ongoing support and and continuity for your practice that we provide with the Riverbird Sangha, consider joining. We have a variety of uh, sliding fee uh, offerings for how you can become a member, and uh, they start at $5 a month, and your support goes a long way to really helping the work we do, both in the podcast and in our teaching. We rely on your support, and we are so grateful for those of you that are supporting us. Thank you so much. But check out joshsummers.net forward slash sangha, and you can see how you can join and take part there as well. Please stay safe. There's a lot of concerning news around new variants, particularly Omicron. Please stay safe. Do whatever you can to take care of yourself. Keep practicing. Stay strong. And I look forward to seeing you in the new year and a new season. Take good care.